This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Dear listener, have you ever thought about getting rid of everything you ever owned? Well, maybe not everything, but in more ways than one, minimalism is really about starting over with less. Now that can be a blank canvas, a blank slate. Sure. Sort of like what, what we did with this new studio space we're in. Mm-hmm. Which by the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice these backdrops. We're building out this beautiful new studio. We've already done three studio tours over at patreon.com slash the minimalist if you want to check those out. We started out with a blank slate. You in fact you hear it a lot with well, with meditating in particular. Uh, I remember when you and I were doing the Waking Up app together, we brought Sam Harris in here and talked to him about it. One of the things he always says is, now it's time to begin again. Yeah. And that is so useful, not just in meditation, but if I'm having a conversation, if, uh, you know, I'm I'm having, uh, I don't know, if if I'm having trouble in the moment. Yes. With whatever it is, I can tell myself, all right, all right, begin again. Yes. Yeah. I I think it's interesting because a lot of the questions I saw today, People are asking about, uh, well, maybe not a lot of them, but a few of them, about starting over with nothing. Why would I want to get rid of all my stuff and start over? Uh-huh. But there are so many different ways to start over. It doesn't necessarily mean creating an empty life or creating a white canvas and starting over fresh, you know, totally new. Right. You can do that. Sure. And if you want to do that, great. Sometimes that's perfectly appropriate right. and it's preferable even, right? Yeah, sure. And that's one way of starting over. Exactly. But there's so, so many different ways to start over. I'm thinking of, you know, we're always starting over. Sometimes there are sort of mile markers to mark the occasion mm-hmm. and, and opportunities for us to start over or even sort of the warning signs that, man, I feel like I really want to start over. I want to begin again. For me, the obvious two that sort of happened back to back, the one two gut face punch that I had was my mom died, my marriage ended, both in the same month back in 2009. And that was sort of the the precipice for us, for the whole minimalism thing, for me to start simplifying my life, realizing like, oh, I want to start over. And pretty soon after that, I left the corporate world and then you were laid off from the corporate world. Mm-hmm. That was an opportunity to start over. Yeah, it was starting over with my stuff, but it was also starting over financially. I got rid of my car payment. I got rid of my mortgage. Um, so yeah, I look forward to uh, yeah just diving into these questions and really talking about these different ways to start over. But you know, one thing I'll say uh, that does apply to all of it is that I love how you talked about minimalism being this tool to help you start over. Mm-hmm. I've never really looked at it that way, but I think about less is now right. our documentary on Netflix. And that is about starting over. It's about starting new. Right. And yeah, if someone is looking to start anew, uh-huh. they can use minimalism to help them do that. And minimalism is not about starting over with nothing. It, you can get down to nothing. It's about identifying what is appropriate and starting over with 
less. Now, yeah. a few other times in our lives that really stand out to me, if you're leaving a job, obviously, or maybe you're just moving to a new workplace, yeah. maybe you're, you're where you worked before is moving buildings even. That's an opportunity to start over. Or you just yeah. move into a new office in the same building. You're starting over. Or maybe you're 17 years old and your Jehovah's Witness father kicks you out of the house and you have to start over. <laughs> Hypothetically Hypothetically speaking, speaking yeah. Yeah, or, or maybe move to a new city or a new home or a new apartment. That is an opportunity to start over. And in fact, anything can be an opportunity to start over. It's a brand new day. It's an opportunity to start over. Yeah. You know, during the minimal episode today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about starting over. We're going to answer your questions on the maximal episode over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the minimalist. We're going to talk about 40 life lessons from 40 years since I'm turning 40 next week which, by the way, is another opportunity to start over. You don't have to wait until one of these big milestone birthdays or anniversaries. It can just be October 13th, and you decide, that's the day I want to start over. Or maybe it's February 5th. That's the day I want to start over. Whenever it is, it's an opportunity to start over. But I am turning 40. We're going to do an episode next week about birthday gifts. But this uh, Thursday on Patreon, we're going to do 40 life lessons from 40 years, 40 things I've learned. And then we're going to answer a bunch of your questions as well. Ryan, let's dive into some of these questions here. We have one from Twitter. Lauren has a question for us. As I'm Letting everything go and starting over. How do I explain it to my friends and family who think I am crazy or terminally ill? It reminds me when we were in the corporate world and people were asking me if you were suicidal. Because I was getting rid of stuff. <laughs> right. I'm like, Isn't he, that weird? Uh, yeah, I'm like, he's depressed, I, but not suicidal. <laughs> right. And, and the, the, the thing is, with the stuff, that is often an indicator that someone is either going to kill themselves or it's an indicator that... I finally have identified what my true priorities are mm. and it has nothing to do with all of this excess stuff that's getting in the way of living a more meaningful life. Yeah. Lauren, let me say this. Who told you that you have to explain yourself? That's exactly what I was thinking about. You know, it's funny yeah. because she's telling herself she has to explain. And your society is also telling yeah. you. And maybe even the people around you are saying, hey, Lauren, I need you to explain this to me. Now, they may not say that explicitly, although someone might, but they are saying it in the way that they talk to you or the way that they judge you. And now a lot of that, though, a lot of that pressure you feel, a lot of those expectations you feel, they are internal. Mm. And so most people don't really care about the explanation. Now, if someone does come to you and they're truly concerned for you, then certainly if you feel compelled to, not by society, but you feel compelled because of your loving bond with this other person, then great. Maybe it's an opportunity. When Ryan came to me and he was like, hey man, why the hell are you so happy? But that was an opportunity for me to not convince him of anything, but to just simply say, oh, well, here's something that's really helping me. And it might help you as well because, well, you're suffering from some of the same miseries from which I was suffering at the time. Yeah. So, Lauren, you might be, uh, you know, the subject of some judgment right now. But remember, judgment is but the mirror reflecting the uh, the traits of the person who's doing the judging. I know I paraphrased and butchered that quote, but yeah, it's all the insecurities. It right? really is. Yeah, it's the insecurities that they're projecting onto you. So you got to think that that is a it's a temporary judgment that's happening. Really, what your friends and family want, <clears throat> excuse me, what your friends and family want, they want you to be happy. They want you to be content. They want you to live a meaningful life. 
they want you to be consistent. And if you can show your friends and family through consistency that that this simplifying of your life is making you happy, it's making you content, eventually they're going to support you. Mm-hmm. But that initial judgment, that initial thing that you think you need to explain away, there actually isn't a way to explain it away. The only way you can really convince others that you're doing what's right for you is by living a, a deliberate uh, a deliberate, meaningful life, being consistent with it. That is what they're looking out for. Yeah, and I think that when you're talking about your friends, you know what? They may want all those things that Ryan just said. Maybe they do want you to be happy. They want you to live a meaningful life, but maybe they don't, and that's okay too. If, if they... Yeah. It doesn't matter what your friends want is what I'm saying. If they want yeah. those things, that's wonderful. Right. Whatever they want, has no bearing on the life that you want to live. Mm. Their expectations and even their standards, their beliefs, their opinions, their preferences are not yours. And you don't have to adopt them. If you find some best practices from them that you will find value in yourself, wonderful. But it's not your obligation to take on their expectations. We have a question here from Ashley in Chicago, Illinois. It's been about four months and I'm still job searching and I haven't came across anything. I haven't been applying to the same field that I was previously in because I didn't enjoy it, but the pressures and stress of not having a job is getting to me and I feel like I should just bite the bullet and try to find another job in that same field. Until I read a blog on your website saying (laughs) that being laid off was the greatest thing that happened to you. So ultimately, my question was, what were your next steps that you took after being laid off? And did you have any fears when you were going through this process? And if you did, how did you handle them? Because I'm definitely feeling it. Ashley, uh, I I totally relate with that fear. Because when I first got laid off, I mean, I did do everything I could to pay off as much debt as possible to uh, uh, get rid of my car payment, get rid of my mortgage. I did as much as I could to save some money, to give myself some time to really figure it out. Uh, But ultimately, you know, there was a certain point where I was thinking to myself, you know what, maybe I'm gonna have to go get a a job just to sustain sustain myself and pay the bills. And there was no shame in that. No, of course Uh, not. I I mean, ultimately I could have went and have been a barista I mean, we talk about that often. One day, Josh, that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We're going to be baristas eventually. But really, um, I even took on a job because I, you know, I was in sales. I took on a job selling uh, decomposable plastics. Right, I remember that for a company. So it, that wasn't my dream job. That certainly isn't what I wanted to do the rest of my life. But yeah, if you're feeling the pressure of having to pay the bills, then you might have to go cut grass. I mean, I'm just throwing something out there, Ashley. I'm not literally telling you to go cut grass, but you know, you might have to do a job that is just a job in the meantime. And there's no shame in doing that. There are two sides to the equation, right? It's, it's the amount of money you make and it's the amount of money you spend. And of course you can get your expenses down as low as close to zero as possible. That's what you and I both did. I moved to a much smaller apartment yeah. uh, when I left the corporate world back in 2010, 2011. Oh, wow. 2011 is when we both left the corporate world. And and so I remember when I walked away from that, I had paid off the vast majority of my debt. I sold my house. I sold cars. I I paid off my the car, the last car I had left and no credit card debt, got out of all the debt that I could, mm-hmm. reduced all of my expenses. I didn't even have home internet, home cable, any of these things yeah. because 
they weren't necessities for me. Right. And let me tell you what a necessity was for me at the time, and it still is today. But at the time, I realized what was absolutely essential to me was my freedom. Mm. And I'll tell you this, freedom is actually terrifying as well. Yeah. Because we think of freedom as one thing. It's doing whatever you want, whenever you want. That's not real freedom. Real freedom involves some sort of self-restraint, right? Because if you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, that's hedonism. That's not really what we're talking about here. That's a, that's a different thing. And, and so I didn't simply walk away from the corporate world and do whatever I want, whenever I want. Mm. But I sort of did in the sense that once I understood the level of self-restraint that was required and not spending excess money, then I was able to identify what my absolute basic needs were. What do I truly need? What is essential to live the life that I want to live? I'm, it may even feel like I'm depriving myself temporarily. It's mm. almost like a withdrawal from consumer purchases, right? Yeah. In fact, that entire year, one of the ways that I started over in 2011, I needed something to write about on the website. So I said, hey, you know, I'm gonna have a New Year's resolution. I'm not gonna buy anything new for a year. <laughs> and I failed at that, but I, it was a wild success in a different yeah, way. it was an awesome lesson. Exactly. Not just for you, but for, for many people. Um, Man, I, uh, oh, I totally lost the thought I was going to say. That's all right. Let me keep going here. Yeah. So w when I'm talking to, to Ashley here about the stress and the fear, yes, there was a lot of stress in the job that I was in. Yeah. But just because you, you leave that doesn't mean all of a sudden it's going to be, your life is going to be stress-free. In fact, there will be different stressors. No matter what we do, there's going to be some sort of stress in our life. And sometimes we look at that as good stress or bad stress. Our body doesn't differentiate between the two, right. by the way. Stress, stress. Yeah, it's stress or stress. Yes, indeed. And so when I, when I think about that, I also think about the fear. And mm. I knew for me, the, there was actually a different kind of fear. It was, I was more afraid to stay than I was to go mm. in that scenario. So starting over for me became easier, it certainly became simpler when I identified that fear of staying. I, I looked out five, 10, 20 years, if I kept down this path, I told myself I'd be different from you know, the bosses that I worked for or the other corporate executives in the company. But the truth is, I wasn't going to be considerably different. I was headed down the same exact path. I was going to end up in a similar or the same destination. And that was more terrifying than the fear of the unknown. And really, that's what Ashley is talking about here is the fear of the unknown. Well, how do I deal with the fear of the unknown? I asked myself a couple questions. What is the worst thing that could happen? Okay, that's an obvious one. But yeah, I always couple that with what is the best thing that could happen? Hmm. Because we always move toward that catastrophic thinking and it's okay to try to understand, okay, what is the worst thing that's going to happen here? Mm. Because it's probably not as bad as I actually think it's going to be. But what is the upside of me making this decision as well? Absolutely. You know, when you approach things that way, you usually end up falling somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe not right in the middle, but, but pretty close to the middle. I remember what I was going to say. When Josh and I left our jobs, we did get like, you know, a little bit of severance, but you know, we had with that severance was like six, maybe seven months worth of bills. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, um, it wasn't like we had people assume because I've, I've had this on Twitter a lot. We're like, Oh, it's easy for guys who had, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars saved up. God no. Yeah. So, um, there, I, I bring that up because 
yes, it's important to have a savings. Josh and I often talk about having that that six month uh, emergency fund. That is, but that's why that emergency fund is so important. It's because when you're in a position like Ashley is, you have some time to kind of figure things out. Now she's been at it for four months. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Ashley, it might be time to find a job to pay the bills, but that doesn't mean you're giving up. That just means you are surviving. You're, you're paying for the bills that you need to pay for, and still, while you are, you know, making that that earning, however it is, uh, it's 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 totally possible to start looking for something that is more appropriate for your life that you want to do. And what direction are you headed in? So when we're talking about starting over, that's really what we're talking about is we're identifying a new direction. And it's generally, it can be, but it's generally not a 180 degree shift. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's a five or 10 degree shift in a different direction. And you're like, oh, but that's not that difficult. No, it's not. But a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, a five degree shift puts you in a radically different location than if you were to stay on the same path. If you weren't to start over, you were just to stay on the same path, you're going to end up in a place where you may not want to be, but Mm -hmm. a slight shift can take you where you want to go. Absolutely. So Ashley, I'm going to send you a copy of Ryan's and my last book. We wrote a book called Everything That Remains, and it is the story of the two of us leaving the corporate world, two suit and tie corporate guys, and sort of jettisoning our stuff, but also leaving behind that lifestyle of clinging and status and trophies and so-called success and achievement for a different life, a life that was more appropriate for us. It's called Everything That Remains. If you like our podcast, you'll like the audiobook version of that. Or actually, if you want the book book or the ebook version of that, we'll be happy to send that to you as well. Sean, if you could reach out to Ashley and send her a copy of Everything That Remains, I'd appreciate it. We have a question from Allie on Facebook. When you're starting over from scratch and you realize you can't do it alone, how do you get over your pride and ask others for help? Mm. So here's the thing. I, I, I would, I don't know. I want to hear what you have to say about this because I think you and I might have a different perspective. Yeah, on it. maybe. Um, well, I mean, do I need anyone? No. Uh-huh. But it certainly makes things a lot more, I want to say easier, but that's not it. It's, it's, I want to say more meaningful, but I feel like I use that word way too much. But having people in my life, it enhances my life. Maybe mm-hmm. that's the way. So having people in my life is an enhancement. So for me, like I know that uh, if I am in a position where I don't have a lot of people in my life, I will have to reach out and I will have to foster some relationships to enhance my life. But here's the thing is if you're going out of your way to add value to other people's lives, there is no shame in asking for someone else to add value to your life. I mean, right. that's really how uh, you can do this in a way. I mean, maybe there's always going to be a pride thing there. Um, I don't know what to say about the pride except for get over it. <laughs> like, it's it's going to be better if you have people in your life. Um, if you if it's a guilty feeling, like you think you're taking advantage of someone, well, then that's a symptom of something that maybe you should look at. Mm. So, how can you ask someone for help and not take advantage of them? Maybe it's you know, uh, hey, I'll, I'll bring you over some groceries. Um, I need some help watching my kids. Whatever it is, mm. you know, find some way to add value to other people's lives. That way, when you ask uh, people to help you out, uh, you've already kind of laid the groundwork for uh, for a relationship that is, is a give and take. It's not just a take. 
I like what you said about enhancing because making that distinction between, yes, our relationships will enhance our life. Sure. But as soon as we need that help or that relationship, it is no longer enhancing and is hindering our life. And so making that distinction, I think, is really important. So mm-hmm. let me go back to Allie's question here. When you're starting over from scratch and you realize you can't do it alone. That's not true. I would actually say that you can only do it alone and the people will then enhance or amplify, augment your life, but they can't do it for you. So often people come to me and Ryan, especially when we do our live events, which by the way, they're they're starting up again really soon, uh, theminimalists.com slash tour. We're going to do a bunch of live events coming up. Heck yeah. But, But people will come up and they'll say, I I wish I could just bring you guys over to my house and you could do this for me. (laughs) And, and Allie, I want you to be careful. I know that's not what you're thinking right now, but that it can often turn into that really quickly. Like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm just going to get other people to do the work for me. Well, yeah, I could come over and declutter your house for you. It's going to be recluttered really quickly. You know, I think about the people who ask me for help in my life and there are people who are working their butt off. They are doing everything they can. And they reach out to me and they ask for some help. Maybe it's just some coaching. Maybe it's for a loan or whatever it is. I have no problem helping someone out when they are putting forth the effort. Someone who isn't putting forth the effort and asks me for help, I'm still totally willing to help them out. But there is a different feeling of, and also a different way I'm willing to help them out. Mm-hmm. So if someone comes to me and asks me for, for money, for example, if a family member or a friend, they're asking me for money, um, and I see that they're not being very responsible with their actions, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm less likely to be like, oh yeah, here's some money. But if I have a, fa- and I have had a family member who working their butt off, they just happen to get into some type of pinch. Hey, can I borrow some money? Yeah, no problem. They paid me back, no problem. Uh, that other family member who isn't really putting forth the effort, I know they're probably not going to pay me back. And I try to live by the rule that you do, Josh, with you don't really lend friends or family money. You can you give it to them. Yes. You don't expect to get it back. And right. if you, but if you get it back, great. Because it ruins the relationship if all of a sudden now I have an expectation or I'm lording it over you and saying, well, yeah, you, now, and I'm, even if I don't, even if I, 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 I don't bring it up constantly, it will come up in my mind like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, Ryan still owes me 50 bucks or whatever, right? right? And why would you let that ruin a friendship? And so yeah. needing help is different from asking for help. I'll ask friends for help all the time. Mm-hmm. Sean helps out a lot. Jordan helps me out. You help me out. My wife helps me out. My daughter never helps out with anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she helps drive you crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she complains the whole time while she's doing it. <laughs> right. It's very helpful. Ella. Thank you. No, it, but in all seriousness, uh, I can ask for help, but the moment that I need that help, I can't do it alone. Mm. Well, all of a sudden, what, what that tells me is it's a disempowering narrative and I'm outsourcing my own abilities to other people. No, 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 yeah. I'm able to do this on my own. It's I'm able to do it a little bit easier if other people help me out. Absolutely, yeah, and this, man, I just wanna be careful because I don't wanna like guilt trip someone who is like, yeah, but I do need help for X, Y, or Z. Like, that's, that's fine. Like, if you can truly look in the mirror and say, I need this help, like, that's okay. I'm, I don't know. Like, worst case scenario is like a paraplegic, right? I need someone to help me out a better, whatever it is. Like, there are certain cases where 
uh, yeah, it'd be better if you can do it on your own, but maybe you do need some help. When I broke my back, mm-hmm. um, you know, I didn't necessarily need uh, Mariah's help. No, you didn't need it, but it was helpful. But it was incredibly helpful, and it saved me from further damaging my back because that's that's just it. Is like when you break your back, you have to lay down and let it heal. You can't be walking around on it and you know picking stuff up. So, uh, so I needed her help in the sense that it helped me heal faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally agree with what you're saying, man. Like ninety five percent of the time, it's something that we should be able to do on our own. And when we bring someone else's uh, someone else in. It enhances the situation, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, again, just like trying to not guilt trip anyone who like might might be in a position where they're like, "But no, I need my sister to watch my kids so I can go to work." I don't know, man. Sure, yeah. every excuse is uh, even the best excuse is still an <laughs> still excuse. an excuse. Yeah, Ryan, yeah. what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to nine three seven two zero two four six. Yes, indeed. Now, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We put the text of these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. And now you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place, minimalmaxims.com. Oh, by the way, Ryan, that number that you shared with folks, 937-202-4654, they can text that phone number with questions. You and I respond to that. Text an emoji to us as well of the thing that you've gotten rid of most recently we'll respond back to as many people as possible and we'll send you our monday morning minimal maxim start your week off with a little bit of simplicity yeah i'll tell you what's nice about that number two is people have access to some things first Mm -hmm. that uh, they normally wouldn't have access to like just recently um, we were filming some trailers for some stuff uh, that we're, we're working on with Netflix. Nothing is inked, so I don't want to talk too much about that, but we needed extras. Mm-hmm. And we we're able to send out a text and say, hey, we need extras. And if you weren't on that list, then you wouldn't have received that, that ask. So Yeah, we had a dozen people here locally yeah. who came out. We had about 30 people who wanted to show up. We, mm-hmm. we, we selected about a dozen of them, and now they're going to be part of this film project we're working on. Yeah. Anyway, Linda has a question for us. So Linda writes in, when you're starting over with nothing, how do you live without sentimental stuff in your life? Well, Linda, I can start with a pithy answer and then we can try to unpack it together here. My pithy answer is this. Minimalists don't focus on owning nothing. They focus on owning only that which adds value to their lives. And of course, that's situational. It's personal. There's not the list of the 1,000 things that you should own or the things that will serve a purpose in your life because that which adds value to my life may not add value to yours. And in fact, even the things that added value to my life 10 years ago, five years ago, 10 days ago may not add value to my life today. And so it's constantly questioning. It's constantly identifying that which adds value. So back to her question here, when you're starting over with nothing, How do you live without sentimental stuff in your life? Your question presupposes that you should live without sentimental stuff in your life. But of course, there's no such thing as a sentimental item. It's only sentimental if we if we impart sentiment onto it. Mm. And so an item that is sentimental for you, Linda, or an item that is sentimental for Ryan probably is not going to be sentimental for me at all. Mm. It's because I'm not assigning that same value to the item that you are. And it's not wrong that you're doing it. I just want to point out that if everything is sentimental, then 
nothing really is sentimental. If everything is precious to you, then nothing is precious. I could tell you the thing I did with my mom's stuff when I brought some of it back. I got rid of most of her stuff. I brought some of it back to Ohio when she was down in Florida after she passed away. And when she passed, I realized I had to sort through the sentimental items and she had thousands and thousands of things that you could easily consider to be, oh yeah, I should hold on to this yeah, mm. just in case. And oh yeah, I might want this giant bed frame later, this huge antique dresser. Like they're nice things. Yeah. They're certainly sentimental items. I would get some value from it too as well, right? So it wasn't just like it was, it was a waste to hold on to it. I would even get some value from it. But just because you might get some value from a thing is not a good reason to hold on to the thing. And so what I realized is that if I got rid of most of the sentimental items and kept a handful of sentimental items, I got far more value from those few sentimental items I kept than if I were to water them down with 10,000 sentimental trinkets. You, you were talking about these, these uh, holding on to these things just in case they become sentimental one day. Mm-hmm. There's something there with just in case, not just just in case items, but just in case sentimental items. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just in case I decide for this to be sentimental right. one day. Yeah. What do you got for us? Uh, here's my pithy answer. Minimalists focus less on surviving and more on thriving. Mm. Yes. So what that means is if you are not going to thrive getting rid of all your sentimental things, then don't get rid of all your sentimental things. What a great question. How will this help me thrive? Yeah. Oh my God, Ryan. That's because that question illuminates so much because a lot of these things we're holding on to and they're actually, we kind of dread them. Mm. Oh, you know, yeah, but it's sentimental. But yeah, but if you dread it, is it worth holding on to? Yeah. But it was important to my grandpa. Right. And that's wonderful that he found so much value in it. Yeah. And he certainly wouldn't want it to weigh you down. Mm. And so you can find it a new home. Just because it, you're not finding value in it doesn't mean that someone else won't find value in it. Yeah. There are thousands of other homes that could find value in that thing. And so in a weird way, by holding on to my mom's stuff, I would have been selfish mm. if I just held on to those things for my own sort of gratification or edification. Yeah, just sitting there in storage, not being used. I mean, you're doing a disservice to your mother because you're not even using the things that she was using. But, right. but then you're also doing that disservice to someone else who might be able to actually take that, bring it into their home and and. Uh, add value. And ultimately, I'm doing a disservice to myself because I dread it. It's weighing on me the psychological cost, the mental cost, the emotional cost of holding on to these things that I know deep down in my heart are just getting in the way. Yeah. Man, that's not a cost that I'm willing to pay anymore. Mm. And so if it's a sentimental item that you get value from, wonderful. I'm not saying you should live your life without those things. Those things enhance your life. But the other things, if they're getting in the way, if they're not helping you thrive, as Ryan says, well, maybe it's time to let those things go. Mm. Ryan, we got a bunch more things to talk about, but first, what do you got for us? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Check them out. Hi, guys. This is Caroline calling in from Gaithersburg, Maryland. Here are a few tips for all the folks who are trying to be minimal in their makeup consumption and usage. For example, I have a dark brown shade of eyeshadow that I use as eyeshadow, eyeliner, and an eyebrow filler. It doesn't smudge, it's long-lasting, and no one notices that my eye or brow liners are actually eyeshadow. You can also use lipstick for your lips and cheeks. I smudge a small line across my cheeks and rub it in for blush. As for my skincare routine, 
I have been struggling with acne for over 10 years. After spending literally thousands of dollars on forced face wash products, I decided enough was enough. I went to my kitchen, my kitchen for some face care solutions. I now wash my face with a warm water and sea salt solution, which has cleared my acne up tremendously. I also use a honey or aloe vera plant mask for 15 minutes every week to hydrate my skin. Just to make sure this is aloe vera directly from a plant, not the gel you use when you have sunburn, totally different, and the latter is filled with a lot of, lots of toxins and chemicals depending on where you get it, so please don't put that on your face. Um, lastly, when I do break out, I put one drop of tea tree essential oils onto a wet reusable cotton ball and rub it on the acne spot. It serves as a DIY uh, acne treatment serum that is giving me great results. So I hope this helps and shows you examples of how minimal makeup and skincare routines are possible and effective. Hi, my name is Lisa Benson, and I'm calling from Waltham, Mass. I've been thinking a lot about souvenirs when you go on a trip. Lately, or recently, our 10-year-old niece came up to visit us, and she bought something small for every family member to show that she was thinking of them when she was visiting and traveling. Um, but I'm thinking of a different way that you could show that to a friend or family member without having to buy them something, which is uh, they give you something small to take with you, maybe it's a drawing or a treasured object or whatever, and uh, you take a picture of that, that object at uh, some landmark or a special place or moment, and you share that photo with them so it's like a piece of them was with you on the trip. All right, y'all, we're going to begin again this Thursday on Patreon. That's the maximal episode on The Minimalist Private Podcast. You can check it out, patreon.com slash The Minimalist. But first, real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing, or maybe two things, going on in the life of The Minimalist. Ryan and I have a new book coming out. I'll hold it up if you're watching on YouTube. It's called Love People, Use Things. This isn't just our tagline. It is now a book, but it's really the North Star by which we've we've used to navigate our lives over the last decade or so, right? Yeah. Because unfortunately in society, we're taught unknowingly to treat people as though they're transactional. Mm -hmm. Treat people like things and treat things like people. We love our things and we use people. And man, that is so broken. Yeah. And so what we've done is we've written a book about this. It's a, a relationship book, but it's about the seven essential relationships in our life. It comes out July 13th. You can pre-order it now, but that's not the right here right now. What I wanted to let you know is if you pre-order the book, you can attend our event for free. We're doing a virtual tour stop, a worldwide tour stop. So head on over to theminimalists.com slash tour. It, that day that the book comes out, July 13th, we're going to have special guest, Erwin Raphael McManus, who's been on the podcast before, but we're going to be talking to him about how to heal the essential relationships in your life, how to heal your relationship with yourself, your relationship with money, your relationship with stuff, your relationship with people, and so much more. And all the details are over on our website, theminimalists.com slash tour. And that is our first tour stop in over three years now. Man, I can't wait. We had to cancel a tour last year because there was some sort of virus going around or something. I don't really remember. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 2020 is such a blur. I uh, blocked it out myself. For our added value this week, speaking of starting over, if I think of musicians who really started over their career, it's Andrew Bell. 
I feel like every album he started over. Yes. Like every single album, it's it's different, it's new, and to get there, it's like he had to let go of everything, start over, and then start working on his new album. What a beautiful way to put it. You had to let go of everything in order to move on. Mm. You have to let go to move on and to create something beautiful, which is exactly what he's done. And he has a new song out. I don't know if you've heard it. It's my favorite song of this year so no, far. I haven't. It's just one song. Oh. It's called My Poor Heart. And I think it'll be from his upcoming album. Oh, wow. But let's finish this episode by listening to My Poor Heart by Andrew Bell. By the way, we have a bunch more surprise questions this week, like... What are 40 lessons you've learned during your first 40 years on this planet? If we're starting over, what essentials would you guys suggest we keep? What if I start over and realize that was the wrong decision for me? How do I start over as a minimalist with kids, plus a million more questions about starting over? And if you want to hear all that, join us on The Minimalist Private Podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash theminimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You'll get our weekly private podcast we put out every Thursday. We also have 50 different quarantine conversations we recorded last year with different people. We just called up people, recorded our phone calls, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 45 minutes, no matter how long it was, we recorded that conversation, a bunch of meaningful conversations we had last year. You can find all 50 of those over on Patreon. Also, we did 30 of these videos called the biggest failure videos, and you can find those on Patreon as well. We talk to people about some of their biggest failures and the lessons they learned from those failures, plus all of our archives, hundreds of hours of archives, more minimalism than you can chew. <laughs> Patreon.com slash The Minimalist. You can follow The Minimalist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalist. Come to one of our live podcast shows. Visit TheMinimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or a minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at TheMinimalists.com. You can comment on this episode, youtube.com slash The Minimalist. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at The minimalists.com you'll also receive any new minimalist writings that we put out there for free and if you leave here today with just one message let it be this love people and use things because the opposite never works thanks for listening y'all we'll see you next time I don't like this spy. let's talk like we're friends we're just connecting dots Some